now have the joy of turning together to God's Word. I encourage you to pull out your bulletin. You'll see the passage on the inside. Of course, you can also use a Bible if you have one, and it will be on the screen as well. We are in the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, continuing our series, and we're in chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. Hear now God's Word. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning. Um, Wanted to let you know we have a testimony we're releasing with the cards that are right over there at that little sign that says Lives Change. And uh, this week, Leland Vogel shares his testimony. Leland is a member of our church. He, uh, was, he, he grew up in a Jewish household, ethnically Jewish, and uh, came to faith in Christ through friends who prayed for him, family members, his wife's uh, family, who was a wonderful model of, of the Christian faith, and uh, folks here at NAPC. It is a very, very encouraging story, and uh, I encourage you to grab a few of those cards and then pass them out to folks who you know and who you would like to come to our grand opening. And uh, you can also grab some of these. These are our postcards we sent out, uh, somewhere around 40 of them to friends and family. Leah and I did last week, and we got a beautiful voicemail from one of our um, friends, actually kind of extended family, and she just shared how thankful she was for all that the Lord is doing, that the gospel is going forward in this part of the, the city, and that she would be there on October 22nd. She thinks at the 11 o'clock, so uh, very encouraged by that. Uh, and, and want you to do the same. Uh, we're in a series, as you know, called Corinth in the first century, New Albany in the 21st century. If you're new here, if you're visiting, if you didn't know that we were going through this book, it's a New Testament book. It's a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in this town of Corinth, which 
in some ways is like our city. It was very cosmopolitan. There were a lot of different views of who God was and a lot of different views about how to live our lives. And Paul is going to tell the church how they can actually honor God and, and live in the way that they uh, are, are called and commanded to do. And we want to do that in our city. And uh, one, one opportunity that I just want to let you know about, um, around 1 o'clock this Tuesday, there are some of our staff and, and other leaders, we are going to actually go knock on doors in our community, in our neighborhood. And we're going to invite folks to come to church we're going to thank them for putting up with all of the construction mess and traffic. And um, we're going to explain that we're not Mormons. Okay, we, are, we believe in a Trinitarian God and we want them to come. So uh, we want the, the word to go out to our community that there is actually a way to live that corresponds with how we were created. And that is according to... How, how Jesus taught. It's according to the, the hope that we have in Christ alone. And so as we look at this text on the body of Christ, I want to remind us that today is the last Sunday we will be taking communion together in this space. And um, we have, we've, by my count, and I'm not sure this is exactly right, but I just went back and counted I believe that we've taken communion here over the last four years 35 times. So this is the 36th and final time that in this worship space we will celebrate what Jesus has done for us by having this communion with him, with the real spiritual presence of Christ and with one another as his body, as the body of Christ. And uh, that's that's pretty profound and it's it's a great text to to take a look at as we think about what is the body of Christ and what are we to do together as as his people let's pray and we'll take a look father we rejoice that you are with us that you are the God who shelters us from the stormy blast as we sang together and there probably are People here, Lord, you know them, who are going through really hard times, who are in the middle of a storm. There are some who may not even fully understand what the Christian message is. There are others who have been part of this church, have been part of this body for many, many years and have contributed and used their gifts in incredibly um, generous and sacrificial ways. No matter who we are, no matter how we approach you this morning, we want to do so humbly honoring your word. So I pray that every single person here, that we all would, would turn to your word and pay attention to it and understand it so that we would glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, three, three things that I want to say about the body as it relates to this text. Um, first, we are one body in Christ. Look in verses 12 and 13 with me. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, so right now he's giving a comparison, you have a body, okay? And your body is made up of different members or parts. You have, well, you may have pinkies and kneecaps and a liver and uh, a couple kidneys, or at least one, and you have, you have all kinds of body parts, and those different parts make up your, 
your constitutive body overall, okay? And all of those parts matter. You may not see them, they may not be that pretty, but they're all important for your overall body, okay? Except your appendix. I don't, I don't know if you need that, and sometimes that's bad for you. But other than that, your, your body, all the different parts of your body you need. And, and then it says that we are all members, though many, are, sorry, though the, the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And this is, this is pretty amazing that Paul is saying that the, the church is Christ on earth. The body of Christ. And you and I are members of this body of, of Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And we are all part of it together. And that is a, a pretty incredible thing. And, and God has, has been telling us through this letter, the, the letter 1 Corinthians, that unity is very important in the life of any church. It's, it's important in the life of the church in Corinth that was going through a lot of disunity. And so I want to remind you, we've gone through a number of passages over the last seven weeks that, that talk about unity in chapter 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul says that in the first opening paragraph, basically, of his letter that he wants them to be united. And, and then he goes on, and one of the reasons they're not united is they're aligning themselves with their favorite teacher. And Paul reminds them in chapter 3 that these teachers are bringing the same message. It doesn't matter which teacher you like, they're all bringing the same gospel message. So he says, he who plants and he who waters are one. That, those are the teachers, they're one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Those are, those are the, again, the teachers. But you are God's field, God's building. And those metaphors of being a building, of being a field, means that, that we're together. That we're together. Amen? Amen. In, in, verse, uh, in chapter 5, Paul ironically talks about how one of the things uh, that is important in unity as a church is that you address sinful behaviors that are not being repented of within the congregation. Grievous sins that would cause an offense to the gospel, that would completely, uh, uh, people would look at it and say, how can they call themselves Christians if this is happening? And Paul says that actually, when you deal with those sins in an appropriate way, you are practicing and protecting unity in the church, and he uses this metaphor of bread, and it's unleavened bread, the bread that the, the Hebrew slaves were uh, commanded to eat before they left Egypt, and he uses that metaphor that we are set aside, just like the unleavened bread was set aside for a, a holy purpose, we are set aside for a holy purpose as well, and he says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, the lump of, of, of dough, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. That sounds confusing, but what it means is you are set aside for a purpose. And if there's someone or people who are in the church who are acting like Jesus isn't Lord and they're flaunting their sin, it has to be addressed so that the rest of the church can maintain its unity. And then Paul talks about freedom, that we are so free in Christ. I mean, we can do, there, there are 
just so many freedoms that you and I enjoy as Christians, and yet we do not want to use our freedom to cause other people who might be more sensitive in their conscience to sin. And so Paul, again, is he's pointing us to look to our brothers and sisters, and he says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And so he emphasizes unity, and here he's emphasizing unity once more in, 12, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he, he tells us, and he uses these metaphors, and I want you to look in verse 13. He says that in one spirit we were all baptized in one body. And then skip that next part. All were made to drink of one spirit. This is a metaphor of, of drinking and Jesus has used this. Do you remember when Jesus uses this metaphor of, of drinking? He's talking to a woman at a well, and she has lived a life that everybody knows is terribly sinful. And she has been completely shunned because of that. But Jesus comes, and he has this interaction with her, and she has to deal with her sin, make no mistake, but what Jesus offers is this amazing drink, this refreshing, incredible drink. Jesus says in John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You know that? Amen? Amen. You have the Holy Spirit. He's alive in you. And he has given you this promise of eternal life. So the Holy Spirit is like this, this refreshing water that never goes dry. And you have been sealed in the Holy Spirit as well. That means that God has put a mark on you and he's never going to lose you. And the evidence of that is the Holy Spirit within you. And then I want to point out what it says here. It says that there are, uh, there are Jews and Greeks there are slaves and there are free. And if there are Jews and Greeks in this church, okay, I, I want to just, we, we, it's easy to just walk over this and just keep going and not, not really think about it. Jews and Greeks were so different from each other. Jews had a whole battery of things that they had to do to remain clean. And then Jesus came and fulfilled those those dietary laws and those ceremonial laws. But Jews were, they were used to eating kosher. They were used to doing things. And, and they looked at Greeks, at, at those who were non-Jews, and they looked down upon them for their idolatry, for the way that they worshipped other things and how terrible their, their meal plans were. Greeks looked at Jews and thought they are so uptight and judgmental and nasty and they won't even like take a look at the other gods that all of us know are just fine to worship these were very different people and they are worshiping together in Christ that's an amazing thing in Christ all of our differences are transcended amen and then slave and free there is no more, there is no greater economic disparity than to be a slave or to be free. And typically in the Roman Empire, slaves were, there were many, many slaves. And those slaves, uh, the Romans were equal opportunity in slavers. 
If they conquered you, you were probably going to be a slave. And it was a very, very difficult existence. Now, you could buy back your, your freedom eventually, but it was very, very difficult. And there were slaves in this church, and there were freed people in this church, people who were not beholden to anyone, and they were together the body of Christ. There, there was no, there was no, there, now, they were making efforts, but the, the goal was to be unified, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. If that was true in the first century, do you think that we can be unified in spite of our differences? I, I think we can. You know, one of you lives in the country club. Another of you lives in an apartment. Is there any problem with that? Can we be unified together? We, we can, absolutely. One homeschools, another public schools. Is there any reason to be disunified about that? No, there is, there's none. One is single, another is married. Can the single be invited into fellowship for dinner with the married couple? Absolutely. Are they in different life stages? Yes. Does that matter? No. We are unified. One is an older widow, another a young couple with kids, and life is hectic and crazy. Do you think that the older widow would be encouraged to come over to dinner at the house that is completely chaotic and you might be embarrassed of your kids? I I'm telling you, it would be encouraging. If Jews and Greeks and slaves and free can do this, then we can do this. Amen? Amen. We are called to unity. And if when we open those doors in three Sundays, if people come and they see people who keep to themselves and their little group is their little group and there's no transcending differences, they will think, huh, well, this is just like any other place I go to. But if they see people who are 80 and they're 22 and they're talking to each other and praying together and they see people who are more wealthy and less wealthy hanging out together and they see people who are gathered together in groups and they're all kinds of different people, then they'll think, what is this place? They really love each other. Maybe I want to be here. And that's what we're called to exhibit to the world. We are uh, one body in Christ. We're also one body with different parts. Now, this is very easy to understand. Some of the passages we've studied in 1 Corinthians are not so easy to understand. This one is, like, it's very straightforward. I mean, look, look with me in 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one member, in other words, one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he goes on. I mean, this is easy to understand, Okay. And I like that he uses the foot because the foot is typically not the most attractive part of your body. If your foot is the most attractive part of your body, then you have problems. Uh, most of my feet are very unattractive. They're still part of my body and they're very important to my body. And if they believe that because they're ugly, they shouldn't be part of the body, they would be wrong. Now, Generally speaking, and I want, I want to be clear here because there's two places where this is emphasized in this passage where it is God who gives you your gifts. You don't earn them. You're not responsible to have certain gifts and not others. Now, what are we responsible for? We're all responsible for developing our gifts and for maximizing what God has given us. But in terms of the raw material, what we have that's up to God. It's not up to us. 
in verse 11, the verse right before we started this passage, it says, all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's say those last three words together. One, two, three. As he wills. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us our gifts. It's not us. And in verse 18, it's kind of reiterated, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So uh, there are two truths that I want us to be clear about when it comes to our gifts, because, you know, typically there's only so many Michael Jordans, there's only so many Elon Musks, there's only so many Augustines, only so many Calvins. And you knew I was going to throw in John Calvin. And let's be honest, we are not they, okay? Most of us are just normal people with gifts that God's given us, but that don't cause us to shine like stars in the galaxy. And that's fine, because it's God who apportions the gifts. And there is no use comparing yourself to other people. Young people, look at me, okay? If you're a student, this is one of the most challenging things of, of your life right now is to look around at other people and see that they are faster or smarter or more funny or uh, more attractive and think, I wish I was like that. It's very, very common. In fact, I would say that's quite common for all of us. And here's the first truth. There is just no use comparing who, how God has made you with how God has made someone else. I, I think probably all of us look around and we have, at, at different times, we look at different someones and we wish we had the gifts the other person had. And that doesn't help anything. That, that leads to ingratitude. And it's something to be pushed out of your mind as much as you can, just to say, you know what, that's not me. God made me the way I am and I'm going to use the gifts that God has given me. Now, feel free to be inspired by the courage or compassion or you know, the, the commitment that people have and, and go and do likewise. But, but as far as the gifts that we have, we, are, we want to rejoice in the gifts that God has given to us. Amen? Amen? And the second thing is, however slight your gifts might be or you might think they are, they are so important for the body of Christ. I mean, they... They are so important. Please do not think that the work that you do to serve Christ is unimportant. That people, I don't know if people see it or not, but don't think that it's unimportant. It is absolutely critical. And I, I want you to know that we are a local representation of the body of Christ. Okay, We're a local church. And we connect to the universal body of Christ, the Catholic Church, and I don't mean Roman Catholic, I mean little c Catholic, that just means universal. We are part of the universal church. Those believers in Christ who have repented of sins and trusted in Jesus, who are connected throughout time and geography to the head who is Jesus. And that church is the most important, the most powerful, the most beautiful organism or institution or whatever you want to call it in the universe. Did you know that? It's not just us getting together once a week for an hour. It is the most important institution. It will never fail. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Amen. It will always be around until Jesus returns and then we will be with him. This is how 
C.S. Lewis put it, the church will outlive the universe. Everything that is joined to the immortal head, Jesus Christ, will share in Christ's immortality. The structural position in the church in which the humblest Christian occupies is eternal and even cosmic. Does that make sense to you? The humblest Christian occupies a space that is eternal. I, I want you to realize the work that we are doing makes an eternal difference. All of the efforts we have made to stick together as a body of Christ and to build this beautiful building, all of it is critically important. Whether you are a part of, in this church, something that is really strategic and leadership oriented or very simple and servant oriented or both and, it's tremendously important. Because the church will outlive the universe and therefore what the local church does and its people, what you do here is of immense weight, immense importance. And we all understand what the metaphor is. I wonder if you are using your gift. I wonder if you are. I, I, there are so many who are, so many. I mean, there are, have you heard of the holy rollers? These are... The, the I, I, mostly men who drive a pickup truck and pick up the, um, the, all of the stuff, that, that, the trailers that have all the stuff that we can do church here. And they've been doing it for four years. They've been hauling stuff here really early and hauling it away after church is done and everything is packed back in. There are people who set up and tear down week after week and they're almost done I thought it would elicit a little more reaction. <laughs> Maybe the setup people went home to sleep and then to come back for acoustic. We've got people on the soundboard week after week. We've got people running the slides. We've got greeters who smile at people. Even if they had a bad day and they are tired and grumpy, they still smile at people when they walk in the doors. We have teachers who teach our children, assistants who help the teachers. We have small group leaders. We have men's group leaders. We have women's group leaders. We have children's ministry leadership team. Youth leaders, choir members, acoustic worship volunteers, administrative volunteers who come in every week to the church office and help with stuff. We have uh, choir helpers who come in every week and do choir things. We have ministry leaders. You can tell I'm not in the choir. Ministry leaders like Hinge, this grief support ministry. We have offering counters, we have committee chairs and committee members, we have deacons, we have elders, we have people who in the church house that we have had our office in over the last year, do you know what they did? They came in and they painted the whole thing. And they didn't, like, who knows who the, the painters are? I, I do, I'm very grateful. Most people don't know those things. We have one of our elders, who and elders are really busy, they're doing a lot of work. One of our elders this week, uh, the outside spigot that the the subs had been using on the house broke and it was just leaking and we had to turn the water main off and he came in the next morning at seven in the morning and fixed it. We, we have servants here. It, it, it's astonishing to me. When we left the building four years ago this month, we had no idea how this was gonna turn out and it's turned out really well. Praise the Lord for that. Yes, yes. And that's because we have brothers and sisters who are willing to use their gifts. I wonder if you are using your gifts. 
I hope you are, and I hope that you are in relationship with brothers and sisters around you because we are one body suffering and rejoicing. This is my final point, verses 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There's some of you who just, you can't, there, there are actually people who are on the live stream who are part of this body of Christ and they just can't come in. They can't worship here because they're really sick or they have a, a, a spouse who's really sick who can't make it in. And do you know that, that the folks who can't do as much actively, do you know what I guarantee they're doing? They're praying. Do you know it's more important than all of these things that I just listed? Praying. Apart from prayer, we are getting nowhere, and all of our activity is going to come to nothing. So this is what Paul, I think, is saying when he says that the, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. If you are not able to come and worship, you are indispensable. You're praying. Keep praying. If you are, uh, if you are widowed or if you are toward the end of your life and you just can't do the things you used to do or if you... If you are young, you know, family, you're so busy, it's so hard for you to, to, to jump into the life of the church in terms of serving, pray, 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 because we need your prayers, and the prayer is the most indispensable thing that we could have you doing. Uh, we, we need all of us, and it says that we ought to bestow the greater honor on the unpresentable parts God has so composed the body, verse 24, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then he says something beautiful. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know how um, you're, you don't think about the body parts on your body unless until they get hurt. And then you're thinking about them all the time. We went to a Metapec uh, earlier this year. A, a mission team went to a Metapec, Mexico, and had an amazing trip. And one of the nights, we went to this big athletic complex in the city where people just gather, and it's a great opportunity to meet people and, and talk to them and you know, work on our Spanish and, and maybe even pray with them. And one of the things we did is we played full-court basketball for 90 minutes. This is a picture and uh, we were running the, the full length of the court for 90 minutes. And so there's Jim, Haley, and then there's Kate. And I think Lauren is, she's in the, she's in the paint. She's, you can't see her. And I think of anything, I think Jim's D is a little soft right here because he's, he's going he's gonna to squeeze off that jumper and he's got plenty of room. But at any rate, this is us after, afterwards, sweaty and nasty and, and uh, I had not played full court basketball in a very long time. And I did not know that I had a muscle here that lifts up your, your, like your heel, like does this. And it's called the tibialis anterior. It hurt for six weeks. I could be, it, it was brutal. I didn't know that existed until, until I played full court basketball for 90 minutes after not playing for, for eight years. Um, it's the same with the body of Christ. When there is someone who is hurting, we ought to run to them. We ought to care for them. 
And when someone is honored, we ought to celebrate it as though we were being honored and not be envious of one another. You know, the image of, like, we, we shouldn't be, you know that image of a bucket where there's crabs in the bucket and one crab is about to crawl out and the other crabs pull them down and they, like, we're not that, right? Somebody is honored, we, we celebrate and we rejoice. And if you are not in community with other people to the extent that they know when you're suffering or know when you have something that's joyful that happens in your life, then people can't care for you and they can't rejoice with you. So if you're not in community, take that next step to get into community. And you may be here for the first time. You are welcomed here. We're a community of Jesus we want to honor him. We want, to, we want everybody to know him because he's the one who gives us eternal life and gives us joy here and now and meaning and purpose that is so far greater than any other meaning or purpose you could pick out. And so spend time with your brothers and sisters. Rejoice, suffer together, and as we do, we will become a place where people want to be a part of us because we are one body. We are unified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, mercy, and love. We pray that we would be uh, your body, Jesus, and that we would encourage one another and that we would serve one another and that it would all be for your glory. Lord, for those who are suffering, we pray that you would comfort them. For those who are rejoicing because they've been uh, experiencing a time in life that is particularly joyful, Lord, we're grateful and we want to we want to honor them as well. Help us, Lord, to use our gifts and to be the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.